Good morning. Isn't that an amazing, simple truth? Jesus saves. As we come to Christmas, it's just that truth that we need to hold on to, that we need to continually remind ourselves. So let's pray and we'll begin. Dearly Father, You are good. We thank You for that little baby boy born in a humble manger, surrounded by humble shepherds. Lord, we're so thankful that You chose to come and enter into this earth to provide a way of salvation for us. And the season to, to stop and reflect on the gift of Your Son. With all the other chaos that's happening around us, it can be easy to lose sight of that precious, simple gift that Jesus saves. Let us hold on to that today. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, just to recap where we are in the story, we've been journeying through the Bible, and now we're in a part of the story that we call the journey. It's uh, the journey from uh, Egypt into now the promised land. And last week we looked at the charge to Joshua. They're right on the edge of the promised land. They're on the other side of the Jordan River, and they're looking out into the promised land, and God told Joshua to be strong and courageous. And so today we're going to pick up the story right after that where Joshua is going to send two spies. But as we think about this story, we're also in a unique moment right now. We're preparing for Christmas. And as you read the Christmas story, if you open up your Bible into Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, right at the beginning, it starts with a genealogy. And did you know that today, as we look at the story of this woman named Rahab, it actually points forward to the Christmas story. And so if you open your New Testament, you open to Matthew 1. Now for us, as Americans, we don't think a lot about genealogies very much. Often it's the parts that we skip. But if you go to some other cultures, uh, like my brother-in-law and sister were missionaries in Kazakhstan, some of their favorite parts of the Bible were the genealogies. They were fascinated by it. And so I don't want to skip over this. So we begin the story of Christmas with Matthew 1.1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Matthew is going to trace Christ's genealogy back in this instance to Abraham. And so some of these names we're familiar with. Abraham is, we did that long series, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the the patriarchs of uh, Israel, the God gave that promise to Abraham that through his descendants, and specifically through Christ, which we didn't know at that time, all would be blessed. And so Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob has Judah. And Judah is the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. And we had that weird story that just plops in at Genesis 38, and then just in the middle of nowhere. And then you're like, what's going on here? Well, now you start to see why that's there. Now, after this, we have uh, these next Uh, people we don't know very much about because they were born during that time in Egypt. Perez is the father of Hezron. Hezron is the father of Ram. Ram the father of Aminadab. Aminadab the father of Nashon. Nashon the father of Salmon. Or Salmon if you're getting fish. Salmon's the father of Boaz whose mother is Rahab. Just dropped right in there. There's this random woman named Rahab. You're like, okay. Um... And then Boaz is the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. 
Okay, so there's now three women that are in this account. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. We're very familiar with David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. So that's Bathsheba. So we have these four women in this genealogy. Now, typically women weren't in the genealogy. So when we see something that's not normal, we we take a step back and say, who were those people and why are they in this genealogy? So in a way, today, when we look at the life of Rahab, that first woman here on this slide, we're actually looking at a Christmas story. So maybe like why in Joshua 2, that's not really a thing you talk about on Christmas. But we're actually going to try to figure out who is this woman Rahab that's in the genealogy of Christ. She must be important if she's picked out. So let's pick up the narrative in Joshua 2. We dropped off last week in Joshua 1. Let's jump back in. Then Joshua, son of Nun. Now last week, for a joke, I said son of Nun. Uh, in Hebrew, it's actually Nun. Uh, recently sent two spies from Chittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Now, if you want to rewind to a few weeks ago, you remember Moses sent 12 spies into the promised land. And they came back, and 10 of them gave a really bad report. And because of that report, uh, the nation of Israel rebelled. And so Joshua goes, I'm not going to send 12. I'm going to send two. But not only am I going to send two, I'm going to send two secretly. So that way, if they come back and give a bad report, it's just to me. I won't let anybody else know because we're still going to go forward. So in secret, he sends them off. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, some there's some debate. Did they have bad intentions? Were they staying there for the wrong reasons, so to speak? There's usually only one reason you stay in that kind of house. But in the narrative, it doesn't it doesn't say their actions are bad. So more than likely, they're saying, okay... This is a place where foreigners can come and go, and no one really takes notice, and no one is suspicious. Also, this is a person, Rahab, who would have had a lot of people from a lot of different places and would know a lot of information. So this is a good place to be to, to hide away and to get a lot of information about the land. Now, some have tried to, to say, well, maybe Rahab was just an innkeeper. You know, they're a little offended by her, her vocation. So they've tried to make the case that, that Rahab is an innkeeper. But um, I don't think you can do that with the text. And especially when you get to the New Testament, the Greek word uh, for prostitute cannot mean innkeeper. So it's pretty clear if you look at the text that she is what it says here. Um, and so when we look back and our, as we think about our society, um, this would have been a woman who would have been the lowest of the low in society. In those days, women themselves, just normal women, it wasn't the best place to live as far as equality is concerned. Um, you know, we think about the monumental vote time in America where women could vote. Well, in this time, like a woman couldn't even testify in court. Um, they were often sometimes seen as property, even as wives. Um, and so it was really not the best time or place to live as a woman. On top of that, she's a prostitute. She's, she's the lowest of the low in society. When she went places, people would whisper about her, say things about her. This is not the kind of woman that you expect to see in the line of the Messiah. Let's continue the story. Verse 2, the king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king Jericho sent out this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy on the whole land. Now understand, Jericho's a big city, and word had been spreading, we'll find out, about these Israelites. 
And so people had probably been keeping track of where this nation was and where they were going. And, and Jericho probably had scouts that were going out and they saw that the Israelites were on the other side of the river. And so they're, they're on high alert. And there's some reports that these two Israelites are in town and they're at Rahab's house. So he immediately says, they're up to no good. We're going to go and find them. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gates were shut. Uh, a couple things are going on. In the, in the ancient Near East, uh, there was this law of hospitality. And so if you took someone into your house, you were actually part of the morality of that day was to protect those people. And when we read uh, like the story of Lot, where the, the two visitors came into their house, it doesn't make any sense that Lot is protecting these visitors, but even risking his own daughters. But part of their the way they thought was when you take visitors into your house, you're supposed to protect him. But... By protecting these spies, Rahab was actually putting her own life at risk. If she was found to be helping spies of an enemy of Jericho, she would have most certainly been executed. And so she's putting her own life at risk to hide these men. And something really simple, she lies about what's going on. Look at what she said. She says, I don't know where they came from, but she did know they were from Israel. She said, they left before the gates closed, but they, they didn't. Uh, they were upstairs under flax. She encouraged them to leave quickly so that they could make sure that they could catch him. But, but she was doing that so they wouldn't search her place. And so it's interesting. In a lot of commentaries, there's a lot of debate about, you know, is it okay to lie in certain circumstances? And they'll go to, uh, uh, like, in Nazi Germany when, uh, uh, when they were hiding Jews from the Nazis and all these different scenarios. And, and it brings the ethical question, was this a righteous lie or an unrighteous lie? And it's really interesting to read all those things. And I, I read for hours on that, and uh, it was fascinating. At the end, uh, here's what I determined. The text doesn't really make any determination about this. In fact, this isn't even, the text isn't even pointing to this. The main point of the story is in verse, verses 9 to 11, if we, we focus on should she have lied or should she have not, then, then we'll miss, miss what God is really trying to say here. The narrative doesn't say it's wrong. The narrative doesn't say it's right. It's just telling you what the story is. And it's interesting, even those, all those uh, you know, debates, they talked about the story, which just for fun, I'll tell you the story because I thought it was fascinating. I didn't know this. In, in uh, World War II, uh, the British uh, government came up with this whole backstory of this fake spy, and they, they, they came up with all this stuff about him, and they uh, got a cadaver, and uh, they planted documents on him, and they took a submarine, and they dropped him off uh, where the Nazis were, and they floated to shore, and the Nazis found him, and they thought it was all real, and so they actually moved around some of their troops because of this whole lie that the British government had put together with this fake cadaver guy who never existed. And so the question is, is that wrong to lie? And I'm not going to answer, but it was just an interesting aside. So, but the point is, the narrative isn't commenting on whether it was righteous for her to, to, to lie here to do this, but what it is pointing to is she's protecting the Israelites. So let's jump to verse 8. 
Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did in Sahon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, when you completely whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. What an amazing speech. Notice, she doesn't say, I think that or I hope that. She says, I know that. What does she know? Three things. I know that the Lord has given you this land. She has faith that Yahweh, the Lord, the, the, the name, and that's supposed to be all four letters capitalized. I'm sorry, when it gets copied over, I don't know why it does that. But Yahweh, the Lord, has given you this land. It says, I know that great fear of you has fallen on us. The, the, the nation is afraid. They're, they're worried. And it's so funny because just 40 years earlier, the Israelites were on the precipice of going into the promised land. At that time... Everybody in the promised land was afraid of the Israelites. But instead, the Israelites, who had God on their side, were afraid of the Canaanites. And saying, look, the descendants of Anak there, these giants are there, there's all these people there, it's too scary. But in all reality, God had already prepared the victory. The people there were already afraid. She says, I, I know that the Lord's going to give you this land. I know that a great fear has fallen on all of us. And I know that the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. This is an amazing statement. The Canaanites worshipped all these different gods. And here this Canaanite prostitute says, I know that the Lord your God is God in heavens above and on earth below. How does she know? Because she heard. She heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea so the Israelites could cross. She heard what they did to Sihon and Og. The Israelites had seen these things with their own eyes, and yet 40 years earlier it said, well, I know we saw God part the Red Sea. I I, I know we saw God provide water when we didn't have water. I know we saw God give us food when we didn't have food. I know we saw God do miracle after miracle. I know we knew when to move the camp when God moved in either a cloud or, or fire. But I don't have enough faith. And this is the woman who heard and believed. See, sometimes in our culture people say, okay, if, if I can see it, you know, if, if, if I could see a miracle, then I'd believe in God. But we know from Jesus' life that's not true. Jesus would do these miracles and people would say, perform another. <laughs> there was a time where he, he fed a group of people on one side of the lake. The next day he had the other side of the lake and, and they wanted him to do another miracle. And Jesus said, no, you just, you just want more bread. <laughs> You're just hungry again. You don't really want to believe in me. You just want me to give you more food. And so sometimes we say seeing is believing, but the reality is that you can see and still reject God. The Israelites did it. Here, this Canaanite prostitute didn't see but heard who Yahweh was and believed. And that's all the more why we need to proclaim the gospel wherever we go. You know, there's that famous uh, quote that I think is attributed to, I don't remember who it's attributed to, but it's not a real quote, so it doesn't matter who it's attributed to. But uh, the quote is, uh, preach the gospel 
and when necessary, or preach the gospel when necessary, use words. I'm messing up the thing, but the point is that what they're trying to say is live it out, and then if you have to, use words. But really, the scripture doesn't present that kind of picture. The scripture presents preach the gospel through your actions and your words. We're called to proclaim the name of Jesus. To not just say, well, I'll let my actions speak for myself. We let the actions speak and we proclaim. It's a both and. Hebrews 11 uh, has this hall of fame of people that had faith. And so I want to take a moment to look at the faith of this woman. Look at this list. Abel, who, who brought the appropriate sacrifices. Enoch, who was one of two people who didn't die, who went up to be with God. Noah, and we looked at his life. Abraham, and then it says, and even Sarah. So she's kind of given like a, a kind of, you know. She, even Sarah had faith, you know, because we see some of her doubt. Now, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the people of Israel. Joshua isn't even on this list, but what we have here is Rahab. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And then the author of Hebrews says, I don't even have time to talk about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. This list of all these mighty people who had tremendous faith. And there's this Canaanite woman, the lowest of the low, in the hall of fame. James 2 James is talking about how faith and deeds intersect. And he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? And he's going to talk about what does it look like? If we truly believe in Jesus Christ, then we have to act. We have to have deeds. And so he wants to use examples to demonstrate that so we know what it is. And so he uses two examples. First one's Abraham. Now it makes sense that he'd use Abraham. You know, Abraham is the... The father of nations, you know, Father Abraham had many sons, and I'm one of them, so I'm going to dance swinging my arms. Makes a lot of sense. So he talks about Abraham. He says, if you didn't grow up in church, you probably totally missed that, but ask me later. Uh, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. And he's trying to point out this picture, that faith causes action. Faith causes deeds. Abraham is a man of faith because he believed in God, and then he followed God. Now, I'm only going to give you one other example, James says. I'm going to pick from the whole Old Testament of all these different people who followed God in faith. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Abraham and Rahab? This is the example of faith. This woman heard about God and believed in God. And it was credited to her as righteousness. And then she put her faith into action. And she protected the spies. And she sent them on their way safely. The amazing thing is that God's grace is greater. No matter what your past. No matter the mistakes you've made. No matter how far off you seem from God. 
that God can take this Canaanite prostitute and make her an example of faith for us all for the rest of eternity. Let's go back to the story. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save them from death. She asked them to show them said kindness, covenantal faithfulness. Because she has shown them kindness, so she asks for the same in response. They say, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Yes, we'll do this as long as you don't tell anybody about us. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. So uh, the way Jericho's wall was built, there were houses and things that were part of the wall, and so her door would have been inside uh, the actual city, but she had a window on the outside, and so she gets this rope, and she's going to let them down on the rope. And she told them to go into the hills because... Uh, the pursuers thought they would have immediately returned to where the Israelites were. They knew where the Israelites were, so those people would have gone quickly, basically to the Jordan River, to try and find these spies before they swam across the Jordan River. It would have been flood season, and it could have been as wide as a mile wide, so they would have had to be good swimmers. So they were trying to stop them before they got there. And so she says, look, if you go into the hills, they're not going to keep searching for more than three days. They'll come back. If you just wait in the hills for three days, once they come back, then you can safely go back to the Israelites. Now the men said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us, unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath that you made us swear. So tell them very simply, have your whole family gather in the house when we, when we come to attack. Uh, have the scarlet rope dangling from your window so we know we're not to attack. And keep your family in the house. They will be protected by the scarlet rope. It will be a sign to help us to know to pass over your house to not attack. When we read that story, it, it, it makes our memory flood back to that first Passover, right? Where the angel of the Lord, the Israelites were to take the blood of a lamb and, and put it on their doorposts. When the angel of the Lord came to judge the nation of Egypt, it would pass over all the houses that had that blood spread over the doorposts. So here, they're saying, look, put that scarlet rope out, and when it comes, your, anybody who's in your house will be safe. This will be a sign of protection for you. And for us, we're thankful that we put our faith and trust in Jesus who shed His blood for us, that we are saved. That God passes over His judgment on us because of His great grace. And offers us salvation. Verse 21. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you said. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. 
When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands, and all the people are melting in fear because of us. Rahab's faith gave these spies confidence that God had given them this city, that God was going to be victorious. So, story ends there, but what, what happens to Rahab? What, what happened down the road? Well, if we fast forward to Joshua 6, after they've conquered, well, while they're conquering, I should say, Jericho, and pick it up in verse 22. Joshua said to the two men who had spied at the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her, in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brother and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in the place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. So by the time Joshua was written, the book was written, she was still living with the Israelites. Well, let's go back to Matthew 1, you know, thinking about Christmas. And go back down to Salmon, or Salmon if you like to say it. Salmon's the father of Boaz. Now, as we're walking through this Christmas story, next week we're going to look at Judges, and we're going to look at why it's important to celebrate Christmas. And you're going to be like, how do you get from Judges to Christmas? You'll find out next week, so don't miss it. Then in two weeks, we're going to look at the life of Ruth. And Ruth finds Boaz, and Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. And we're going to look at how Christ came as a baby to be our redeemer. But the interesting thing is that Boaz's mother is Rahab. And we see Boaz is a man of faith who follows the Lord. He's also a man who understands the Jewish customs. And he's also a man who, who knows how to treat women right, which we'll find out in the story of Ruth. And that's the man that Rahab raised as her son. And that's the man who becomes... And so Rahab actually becomes Ruth's mother-in-law, her second mother-in-law, because her first husband passed away. But Rahab becomes Ruth's mother-in-law. Now, Ruth has a son named Obed, who has a son named Jesse, who has a son named David. So Rahab was actually David's great-great-grandma. Isn't that crazy to think about? One of the most important people in the Scriptures, David, a man after God's own heart, who wrote most of the Psalms. David, who, who the nation of Israel thrived under his leadership. His great-great-grandmother was Rahab. A Canaanite prostitute who heard about what God did and put her faith and trust in Yahweh and believed. And that belief led to action. So this week, I just have one simple application point, one simple takeaway. And that's this. God's grace is greater than our sin. It's greater than our past. It's greater than our mistakes. But no matter how far we may feel from God or no matter what we think that we're too far away, 
that God welcomes us with open arms. Now, maybe there's someone here that needs to hear this, or maybe there's someone online today listening right now that needs to hear it. Or maybe there's someone, if YouTube's still a thing in 20 years, is going to be watching this sermon and needs to hear this. It doesn't matter what your past is, how many mistakes you've made. Rahab was the lowest of low in society. She had made mistake after mistake, leading to her a vocation where she was despised, probably taken advantage of, ridiculed by society. She was the one that people would say were too far gone. And when Jesus came, guess who were the people that he hung out with and ministered to? The religious people all said, I can't believe, Jesus, you would hang out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. But those are the people who Jesus came for. So no matter how far gone, no matter how far, how sinful you feel you are, you're not too far gone for Jesus. And you just need to have faith. Like Rahab did. Rahab heard about God, heard about Yahweh, and believed. And in the midst of her sin, in the midst of her mistakes, she turned in faith to God and said, I need Him. I need His protection. I believe He is the Lord of heaven and of earth. I believe He is God. And she put her faith and trust in Yahweh, and God saved her. It's amazing that as you read through this book, there's a story of this Gentile woman. It doesn't make sense. I love what Richard Hess says about this. He says, in one of the most nationalistic books in the Hebrew Bible, does it not serve the purposes of the promise to Abraham that all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you? To place side by side the choice of a military leader as an initial preparation for battle, place that side by side with the story of a foreign woman who believed and was saved without arms or bloodshed. Rahab, a Canaanite enemy of the Israelites and a prostitute, was saved because of her faith. And then she became one of the most famous women in all the Bible. In the Hall of Fame of Faith, in the messianic line, Jesus' great, 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 a lot of greats, grandmother. This is the woman that was exalted as, as a person of faith because she heard about God and she believed. I love Ephesians 2, 8-10. through 10, and, and I think it makes sense in this passage. It says, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. This gift of grace was given to Rahab. She, she, through her faith and by the grace of God, received the gift of salvation. Not because of her works, but because of her faith. And her faith led to action. And so the good news is that you can experience the same exact grace that Rahab experienced. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can experience that amazing grace. But it's not just that. We're not just saved from something in the future. We're saved for something right now. For it's by grace you've been saved. Sorry, for verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God had a purpose for Rahab. God knew Rahab would become the mother of Boaz. He knew Rahab would become the great-great-grandmother of David. 
He knew Rahab would be in the messianic line. He had a purpose uh, for what, and when, God, when, when the, the spies were sent to Jericho, this woman was placed strategically to protect them so they would be safe. God had a purpose for Rahab, and God has a purpose for you. And the good news is that your failings, your mistakes, your past doesn't keep God from using you in amazing ways for His kingdom. This woman, everybody would have counted her out. And you might feel like, maybe you feel count out. Maybe you look at your friends and you're like, they're a lot more successful than I am. And maybe you keep struggling with a certain sin. Maybe you feel like a failure. You're struggling in life right now, especially with corona. Maybe you find yourself battling depression, anxiety, struggling, and going, I don't, I don't think God can use me. I, I don't have the skills that this other person has. I don't have the abilities that this other person has. I'm just not worth that much. But if God can use Rahab, the, the worst of the worst of society, according to the people living there, God can definitely use you. And God can use you through faith. And you could be listed. You never know the impact that you can have. I'm sure Rahab had no idea when she woke up in the morning that two Israelites were going to come to her house and she was going to save them and she was going to be brought into the family of faith. She had no idea. But God offers that same thing to you. He offers you salvation if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. And He offers you a purpose once you do. That you're His handiwork, created to do good works, which He prepared in advance for you. He already knows what He's called you to do. And so now you take your faith, and just like Rahab, you put it into action. So don't allow your past to keep you from what God wants to do in your future. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what a good reminder to all of us. Lord, we all have a past. We all have mistakes, and Satan wants to use those mistakes and use that past to cause us to think that we can't do anything, that we're worthless. But Lord, our worth comes through You, and You've created us with a purpose, with a mission. Lord, help us to not get sidetracked by all our mistakes, but instead to have faith in You, and because of that faith, to take action. Lord, You're so good. If there's anyone that doesn't know You, I pray that today they will choose to have faith because they heard the Word just like Rahab did. They heard about Your mighty deeds and that today they choose to say, I want to follow God. Lord, if they do that, help them to contact us so we can get them plugged in. Lord, thank You for today. Help us to close and worship singing our praises to You who is worthy of all of our praise. In your name we pray.